Welcome to Psychedelicast. Hosted by Clinton Cayley, this show is an interview-based podcast focused on offering listeners in-depth information concerning plant medicines, entheogens, and all subjects tangential to psychedelia. Join us in prying open the third eye. Welcome to Psychedelicast, guys. Thank you so much for joining us once again. I, as always, am your host, Clinton Cayley. Very excited for you guys to be with us for episode number four of Psychedelicast. We have a fantastic show for you today featuring Andy Melder of Greenside Total Wellness, LLC. Andy is a veteran Navy corpsman, founder and former member of the Texas chapter of Veterans for Natural Rights. He's also an activist for the rights of vets to have access to the plant medicines that they desperately need. We discuss his journey with the military and how entheogenic medicines and cannabis helped him avoid the all-too-common pitfall of pharmaceutical dependence. Andy is highly knowledgeable, experienced in the realm of entheogens, and an all-around cool guy to talk to. I think all psychedelic casters are going to enjoy and learn a lot from our chat on this episode, which is coming up in just a moment. Once again, thank you guys so much for joining us this afternoon. Are you interested in the medicinal benefits of cannabis, but concerned with the legal and professional ramifications of using marijuana? CBD's Apothecary is a one-stop shop for all your CBD needs. People all over the world are turning to CBD to alleviate stress and anxiety, get better sleep, reduce inflammation, relieve pain, and so much more. CBD's Apothecary curates a full line of branded and lab-tested CBD products. Visit www.cbdsapothecary.com to shop our CBD oils, vapes, edibles, topicals, and supplements. CBD's Apothecary is also home to the only CBD-infused nut edible on the planet, CBD's Nuts. Our edibles start at just $5 a bag, and we've recently reduced the price of our most popular product, CBD's Drops 1000 mg CBD oil, to only $50. We have specifically priced our products to make CBD affordable and accessible to everyone. Shop now at www.cbdeezapothecary.com. Psychedelicast listeners enjoy 10% off at checkout with promo code CBDMED. That's C-B-D-M-E-D. Thank you, CBD's Apothecary. As far as housekeeping goes today, guys, we're going to keep it short and sweet. Um, What I need for you guys to do is what you've been doing, uh, interacting on the Facebook group page. I'm getting a little traction on Instagram as well. That's super cool. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Psychedelicast. That's literally the at sign Psychedelicast. Those are our social media handles. Thank you guys for joining in the conversation on those platforms. Thank you so much for sharing this with your social media group, your family, friends, and those in the uh, culture. I really appreciate it. Do me a huge favor. Subscribe to the show on iTunes and wherever you catch your podcasts. Review it for me. Tell me what you like. Tell me what you don't like. Uh, Share it around. Like review, subscribe, all that cool shit. I really appreciate it. It helps the show grow. We reach more people. I can... 
spend more time doing this, and everybody's happy, I think. Uh, beyond that, dude, I have scheduled interviews with at least... Not that all my guests aren't super cool, because they are, as we're about to hear from Mr. Andy Melder, um, but I've scheduled two upcoming interviews with two people in the culture that I am especially, especially stoked to talk to, two of my personal inspirations and people that I really look up to in this arena. So keep your ears peeled and your eyes open for both of those. You'll know who that you are when you see them. I actually can't believe I got these guys to agree to do the show this early on, but hey, they said they were going to do it. We've scheduled it, so fingers crossed it's going to happen. Beyond that, guys, uh, let's hear a little bit of psychedelic news for today. Today in Psychedelic News, we're going to give you some information from thedenverchannel.com, an article entitled, Polis Signs Build Defelonizing Single-Use Drug Possession for Schedule 1 and 2 Substances. This article was written by Mr. Oscar Contreras. It was written May 28, 2019. We're reading it today because the uh, subject in question has just taken effect here in 2020. Denver, Colorado, Governor Jared Polis on Tuesday signed a law defelonizing single-use drug possession for Schedule 1 and 2 substances. HB 19-1263, which takes effect in 2020, defelonizes drug possession for substances such as heroin, fentanyl, cocaine, and most other illicit drugs. Under the newly passed law, those caught with small amounts of these drugs would face a misdemeanor instead of a felony charge. Dealers, however, would still be punished with a felony. Supporters of the bill have said that HB 19-1263 is an effective way to stop, quote, arresting away the growing drug problem and also a way to save taxpayer money. A report from the Joint Budget Committee found savings anywhere from $8.6 million to $13.7 million over the next five years before the bill became law. The money saved by the state would be used for a grant program to help fund new treatment and substance abuse treatment centers. Opponents of the measure disputed those savings, claiming the funds will come at the expense of county taxpayers and county jails, where those sentenced to jail time would now be held under the proposed changes. Well, Colorado seems to be doing some really, really important and exciting work in the realm of decriminalizing and legalizing entheogens and cannabis. If only Texas would catch up to that wave, I would, I and so many other people, as we'll hear today from Mr. Andy Melder, would be so, so grateful. So good job, Colorado, spearheading and leading the way in a very, very important arena. Let's hope that this works out well for them. I have a funny feeling that it's going to. respect or is an outright fear of what you're going to encounter or what you're going to end up becoming uh, when it's all said and done because these are life-altering experiences there's a lot of that you know involved so you you and and I think the 
the Bufo is for some reason, and when I talk to people about it, uh, and I st- I feel this way more about it after I tried it. Um, there's this like fear, like oh, what am I gonna find out, or what's lying down underneath this all, or are you what saying are the outcomes? That it, are you saying that the bufo is is helping you to really overcome that, or is now that you try bufo, it's more pertinent? Um, w- once you once I tried it and saw what it was capable of bringing out, uh-huh. uh huh, that is scary, yeah. scary as fuck. I bet. Yeah. And I mean, just because that experience was like intense, yeah, intense, like nothing I could ever, um, you know, the person that administered the medicine for me very well versed, um, probably one of the most versed people in the medicine in the Western world, you know, are the side of North of the Rio Grande anyways, uh-huh. when he was described and, and I had, and I had, and tried the regular DMT, uh, before the 5-MeO, so I was at least prepared for, um, the, like, how to how to administer the medicine, how to take it in and hold it and, like, all that stuff, and, and so I was prepared, but, um, he, you know, so he kind of said, chopped it up like this, like, where DMT is a very external experience where all of your thoughts go outward and your visualizations kind of augment if your eyes are open into the world around you, your eyes are closed, creates this whole new world and all this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 5-MeO was more inward and less visual, but more emotional. And uh, I didn't really understand that and what that really, like, what the implications of And I couldn't, I don't know if I could, like, explain it to somebody else or whatever, but... It was definitely true. It was like, um, it made me look downward and inside of myself in, in a way that I can't explain. And then when the purge came, it came on like the most ferocious and forceful purge I've ever had in my life. And um, the people that were in the room with me, um, there's probably like 10. And uh, one of you know my very good close friends was standing right next to me and he said whenever whenever I purged he's like people took a step back yeah. he was like it was that powerful it was like holy moly and um, let's get kind of like what you were talking about like that external uh, masculine approach to the medicine where you're like just getting up like taking your shirt off and like oh, like you want to fight it almost you yeah. know and uh, but it grabbed a hold of me and just ripped this sense of darkness and black like ultimately it was just all i could i could feel blackness i couldn't necessarily see it i couldn't like visualize it coming out of my mouth but i could feel it so intensely that i could almost visualize it and that's the thing that um it's hard to explain to people like it wasn't this visual experience it was this extremely emotional experience where you just visualized normally like you would just daydreaming or something like that not so much like you were in the meds but what came out of me was so powerful i was like y'all got to get me out of this room i don't want to be in the space with whatever just came out of me right now that's interesting because it and it like that right there was like whoa yeah and uh almost thought it was um demonic possession in a way it felt that way 
Yeah. You know, and so I guess wherever your spiritual views take you on that, I, and I never really considered that, but that's the way it felt. Dude, um, that's interesting, and I think I talked about this on my last show, um, but I think I touched on this specifically. Um, I never would have... I was raised that way. You know, I was raised in a, in a very, uh, like, Southern-style Christian family. Southern Baptist, yeah, myself. exactly. So, yep. so it was, you know, people are always talking about that kind of things. I've seen people speaking in tongues. I see people fall out. I see the laying of hands. Right. So, you know, uh, at an early age, I was used to these kind of, like, ritualistic... What I now would, would look at and be like, this is kind of bizarre, you know? But mm. it's not that bizarre to me because I grew up that way and it was so normalized. Um, however, as I grew into adulthood and I kind of started to question things and change my views, I got into a more agnostic, almost toward like an atheistic bent. Sure. Uh, like in my mid to the progression of things. Early yeah. to mid twenties. Then I went and had this recent ayahuasca experience. And during this experience, I, people are like violently purging. I didn't purge. Um, um, I'm not sure why I took a low dose because my blood pressure was high. So they were like, we don't want to give you a full blast because... Your blood pressure was too high, basically. Sure. Because uh, I was in the mountains, I wasn't in at the, I wasn't at in the uh, basin. Right. So right. the the oxygen was a little short. Yada yada yada. What have you? They didn't want to give me a full dose. Yeah. But I still had this really really intense experience. I'm like, if that wasn't a full dose, then like I don't, I don't know how that could possibly be magnitudes of right. more intensity than that. But I guess that it's <laughs> right. You would be surprised. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Every time I say that, I find another magnitude. Though, right. right. It's like once you enter the eighth dimension, you're like, oh, okay. So uh, I'm, these people are violently purging around me, you know, and I'm getting this like I'm getting these senses of like kind of uh, it's hard to describe, but I'm like kind of understanding what it is that they're purging in a vague sense. Like I don't I can't pinpoint it exactly, but like I can hear these different purges. And I sense the type of energy that it is. Like, I can tell some people are dealing with, like, some sexual things. I can tell some people are dealing with this, that, and the third. Right. Which may just all be in my head, but it doesn't seem that way. It seems like I'm, like, feeling these emanations from them. Yeah. Um, and as I, like, as I open my eyes, I can see, like, big black, like, coming out of people into their bucket. Right. And um, right. then I start to see them, like, rise up out of the buckets and start to, like, swirl around the maloka and so I'm watching all this and I'm like, okay, like I'm observing this. I'm not involved in this. Like I didn't purge anything like that. So I'm good. Like mm-hmm. that's my thought process. Like they're not going to come fuck with me basically. Right. Well, as soon as like I start this train of thought of like thinking, like acknowledging the, whatever this is that's going on, they kind of like, whew, and like notice me like over there, like on my little mat, like, okay, fuck. Like they see me now or they sense that I'm sensing them or whatever. Whatever's happening. Right, yeah. And Energy towards And they begin to, like, come, like, take interest in me. These, like, they look like black shadow blobs. They're, like, Lovecraftian, like, yeah. tentacular shadow. They, they're just fucking terrifying, you know? Right. But they're formless, kind of. They're not, like... Like Lord of the Rings, like the race, like yeah, yeah, <laughs> sort of. And so at this point, um, and I'm I'm getting to the point just to kind of uh, relate to the story that you're talking about with the. I would have never like in the last ten years been like this is bullshit. If someone told me this story, I'd be like, yeah, you were really really high, like right. you know it. But experiencing it's something different. And so these entities or whatever they are try to start to approach me, and I get really really frightened. And in my in my mind, I like call out to the shaman who's like to my left. I'm like, hey, like I, I'm not sure what's happening here, but I need your help right now. Right. And he makes this sound. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's like <laughs> dart you, and it's yep. like, and I see like the like the energy like shoot across like as they're approaching me, and it like dissects them all, and they're like, yep. and they like d- dissipate. So I'm like, okay, and you know, then the night goes on, and all kinds of other crazy shits happening, like like absolutely unquestionable to telepathic connections with like certain people mm. that we talk about later and they know what I was seeing and I knew what they yeah, were seeing. Yeah, yeah. Um, what the, you know, I guess what, what's being failed to realize is that, uh, that's just, um, and, 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 and in my ayahuasca experience myself, uh, this was one of the things I was severely struggling with when I went into it was because I was trying to open myself up to spirituality, but I had, such terrible experiences with religion growing up that it was like, but it ain't that. So it's got to be something else. And, and, and I didn't know what it was, but the same thing, like coming from an agnostic front, you know, especially, or, or almost into that realm of atheism, like where you're just like on the verge of like one day just being like, no, it doesn't exist. And Oh, yep. It's there or whatever. But you know, when you, so, so I can, I can, totally understand what you're saying like when you walked into there i knew i was ready for something but i didn't know what and i was quite frankly still even like scared that i was breaking my original commitment through baptism to to jesus and god and you know because of here i was like um was i worshiping this medicine or this person that was facilitating and and i really wanted to know like his views on Christianity and all this stuff. I was relieved to find out that the shamans, you know, believe a lot in the Christian religion, but they have their own animalistic and naturalistic, you know, twist to it and these different, and it kind of, it, 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 it gave me this like, Oh wait. So they took some of the old and then some of the new and they integrated it into their own beliefs and it's like working just fine for them. Um, and, and I really don't think it was. I, I think it was actually the original intent of Christianity even. Like if you go back into Jerusalem, you know, 2,000 years ago, people are going to be eating good. Like they're going to be treating them their bodies as temples. They're going to like actually be believing some of these things and turning to plant medicines to heal them because that's all they had. Sure. You know, so I think it's I think it's all relative and, and I don't kind of know where I was going with this, but I know in that experience something. Well, it was kind of crazy because it was my grandmother, uh, the face of my grandmother, her name, Grace, um, who had passed. And and she was the epitome to me of what a Christian should be you know, non-judgmental would give her shirt off her back for a stranger because that's what the, what the Bible told her to do. Um, turn the other cheek, just never, never treat and never talk bad about anybody I ever met. I never heard her, you know, always just carried this amount of positivity with her. Mm -hmm. Um, and really I felt like walk the walk of what the preachers were trying to teach us, but I didn't see in the other people around me, you know? And so to me that had a, and there was also like this hereditary impact like you know how that is like uh, um, clean up your language you don't want to cuss in front of grandma kind of thing like uh, that that like you know grandma's around like she was definitely that person that made you want to be a better person because she was such a good person yeah yeah and so that like her appearing to me and some of the things that I was struggling with and she just saw me she looks at me and she says it's gonna be okay everything is going to be okay. Mm-hmm. 
and those words carried so much a profound impact to the rest of the ceremony to the rest of how I viewed life and the world because it was like that question is like am I doing something wrong here and she would have been the one to like no she was the moralistic like high ground for sure she would have been like your compass and it's like she visited you and she was able to give you like affirmation affirmation yeah and 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 in that same process I came to this understanding that like some people are stuck in that very one-minded narrow view of the world because that's that's their elevation of of the consciousness at this moment that's what the tools that they need to understand spirituality like not everybody needs that yeah and some people can step out of that box and then back into the box and back out of the box as many times as they want um and i think is is like with your intentions being pure um god's energy is going to reward that yeah no matter what you know yeah that's a good roundabout way to get to the to the bufo thing. Yeah, um, yeah, no, that's that's a good. Well, I think that people are definitely going to be interested in this episode at this point because we just jumped right into like the the like deep psychedelia good shit. I like that. Let's uh, back up for a step though and welcome you to the show, uh, Andy Melder. Yeah, Andy Melder, welcome. Um, so why don't we move through some of these uh, things that we're gonna cover today? Right on. Um, why don't you just tell us a little bit about who you are? And what we're going to talk about today? Um, long story, or long story short, yeah, Andy Melder. Uh, I am the founder of Veterans for Natural Rights of Texas, chapter president, uh, on the board, or was on the board for Veterans for Natural Rights. That um, kind of in a transition phase right now. So, um, and then, <clears throat> and and our claim to fame has been the representation of veterans in the natural rights movement. Uh, whether it be Second Amendment rights that a lot of people equate to self-defense, but I also like to talk about self-healing and self-advocacy and the right uh, for uh, self-protection in, in those modalities. You know, a lot of people don't think about it in those terms. So, um, you know, while you have every bit of right in this world to protect yourself uh, against physical harm from others, um, then that includes the environment around you. And so uh, natural medicines are a proven effective way to help people uh, cope with that. Um, you know, the departure from nature that humanity has encountered over the last, you know, few hundred years. So, um, and then uh, to, to top that off, I'm a veteran myself. I was a Navy corpsman, which means that I served in a medical capacity with the Navy and the Marine Corps. And, uh, got out, struggled with PTSD for quite a while, still do, but um, I've been diagnosed and started treating myself with entheogenic medicines and uh, and anything I can get my hands on that keeps me living a better, healthier quality of life and not trapped in a pill bottle that is certain if you kind of go the route of Western medicine with as a veteran with PTSD. So, um, Have you gone that route already? Did you, did you so call, I have a I have a unique I have a unique story because uh, growing up as a kid that was my that was me I was diagnosed with ADHD slammed with Ritalin and uh, then the psychotropics on top of it to help me cope with the other stuff and um, I found cannabis you know at the age of 14 13 14 years old mm-hmm. and I moved away from the the meth methamphetamines um to cannabis completely by the time I was like 16 or 17. Wow. 
uh, not without consequence, but, uh, but it was that important to me. And then, so when I joined the military, obviously I didn't medicate for the five years I was in, but because of my previous experience with those meds and how they reacted with my biology. And I just knew like, it wasn't for me. Uh, I immediately went back to cannabis when I got out of the military. Um, and, and so I still avoided, uh, for a long time. I wasn't really treating myself. I wasn't really taking the next step. Mm -hmm. Um, but it kept me off the opiates. It kept me off the psychotropic. So I don't have that unique, I had to overcome these medications story that a lot of veterans do. Okay. So you, as in, uh, that you had had, that you had had issues with them and then overcome them is that's what you're referring to. Yeah. Like as a youth. And so it wasn't, I I wasn't going to allow that be my path. Back in 2005 so as when an I got adult, out. you weren't having pain pill issues with pain pills and SSRIs no. and things like that. Well, that's right. good, man, because that can really compound, you know, obviously. Sure. And, and so it wasn't until I took the next step of natural healing until I started to get better. But it, at least I was kind of, I guess, maybe maintaining for a while. What's the ne- What was the next step for you? Um, I say uh, garden therapy. Uh, I was living in an apartment at the time, and somebody recommended... Uh, just growing things to help me with some of the issues I was going on. I, I don't remember who it was. And so I just did some research on container gardening. I was a chef uh, for 10 years too, after I got out. And so cooking and food are like a passion and love for me. So I was like, well, why not grow my sure. own vegetables? And so I started just growing like, what I say, like a salsa garden, like tomatoes, onions, peppers like just easy things to grow that you could just like whip up and throw in any almost any texas dish sure but that gave you like a uh something to focus on maybe a, re- a connection with nature that you previously hadn't had and what and what right capacity did that was that beneficial for you um there was a realization of the interconnectedness of things that happened with the more understanding of the microbiology of the soils that I was using uh, right at first, I was just like grabbing the miracle grow off the shelf and like, just whatever, like, I don't care, like, <laughs> yeah. just let's get it up. But over time, then it was like, okay, well, uh, let me start composting, you know? And I just started a small co- composting bin, even in my apartment. Sure. Um, and then started using that. And once you put your own compost into the soil, then you're like, why would I want to spray it with all these chemicals? Like, okay, now let's find something more organic to help treat the bugs or whatever. And like, sure. um, if you look over here on this side, uh, like I have tons of lizards all over there. So anytime oh. I find a lizard, I try to transplant it closer to my plants to let nature, you know, to create its own micro like environment. It was like seeing this, like, wow, if you don't, get all this homeostasis and balance with each other then yeah you're gonna have weeds you're gonna have you're gonna have bugs you're gonna have an issue you know with these yeah. things you have to have some bugs sure to pollinate but you yeah. can't have too many bugs because then they kill you you, you know so i mean swarmed by fucking beach invading right <laughs> and so like there was like this like, understanding of like okay my approach to my own life has to be different then we're going back like honestly you know over 10 years now yeah. Uh, so it wasn't immediate. It was a practice that I started doing. Like I move. Oh well, those plants die. Well, let's start over. I get a new house. Um, you know that relationship ended. So now my kid. That was part of the. You know. Oh my gosh, my garden's gone now. All right. Yeah. Well, it's 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 part of it. You know. But guess uh-huh. what? You can dig another hole and plant another plant. Sure. And so that's kind of like the same thing. And 
if you go to like mindful meditation, like you can be distracted, but come back to your moment. And like all these different things that started trying to like um, equating to like, okay, this is how you have to be. It's, it's, it's not easy. It's not like oh, I just do it. Like, well, it's a practice over time. Right. And yeah, that's interesting that you say that because it's kind of been like that for me. It's like it, it starts to synergize when you when you care about one thing and you actually say, you know what? Other than maybe like your career or like the thing that you're supposed to be focused on, making money or whatnot. Right. If you're able to focus on this other thing that's beneficial to you or useful or just like good, a good thing for you to do, it kind of rolls into like other areas of your life. Like for me, which I still battle this struggle with this uh, battle all the time, is my weight. That what started me to like kind of change my life into a, a more uh, productive direction was I wanted to lose weight. At first, I just was like, I need to lose weight. Okay, I right. need to eat less. I need to like hammer workouts in, yada, 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 run, kill myself, basically. Sure, that's the first initial step for the American. Yeah. Exactly. And slowly over time, I began to uh, learn about um, health, exercise, nutrition, and, you know, obviously, I still am, am learning. I'm still a student of that and trying to figure that out. But, you know, that kind of carried over into other aspects of my life because I was successful at it for a time. I've, I've had missteps and stumbles, but it took me into all these other avenues of, you know, the, the body needs to be in line with the mental and the soul as right. well. It's like, if they're all three disconnected, then it's hard to bring them into the center and, like, yeah. get that rotation right. Going. And, uh, and it's a, it takes practice and it takes time and you have to learn because most of these things aren't apparent. No. They're not taught to right. us. And matter of fact, they're, they're almost um, Hidden. elusive. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, yeah, They're obscured by the bullshit that we're generally um, taught to believe is right. important. You right. know? And it's like, well, those things may be important, but you're not even going to be effective in that capacity if you're not effective in your own physicality and your own mentality and right. spirituality. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of how that, you know, that's kind of how it works. It, it, it's a, synergis, a synergizing effect. Um, so what is, what's the mission and vision for uh, Veterans for Natural Rights? And, like, kind of what role do you Ooh. play in, like, the – in your <laughs> – we have to move on from that one. Okay. Yeah, because um, uh, that's like I'm literally in the process of quitting that organization. Oh, right okay. Now. Okay. Uh, well, it's a long we, story. Okay. We don't yeah. have this. We can move on from that. That's fine. Yeah, but I can talk to um, my other goals and my other. Please uh, do. No, so what? What I'm trying to do now really is not any different uh, from where VNR was or is or what they're trying to accomplish and 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 where I'm going. However, uh, because I'm refocusing myself on my career uh, and business ownership and taking these modalities that I've learned and trying to bridge gaps for the general public and, and uh, an aging generation of baby boomers that are going to be in the same boat as veterans who are already in the same boat, they're either having to look at the choice of, do I take more pills or do I try to get my shit together? And is it too late? And, you know, my thought is it's never too late, uh, to mitigate the damage. But anyways, um, so I'm, I'm starting a business, which is Greenside Total Wellness. Uh, the story kind of behind that is in the military as a Navy corpsman, you have, uh, what they call like the white side, the blue side and the green side white side being the hospital, 
uh, where you can work, and that's where my first command was uh, doing patient direct patient care. Mm -hmm. uh, the blue side is on ships sailing and taking care of sailors out at sea, and then the green side is taking care of Marines, like attached to a, directly to a Marine Corps unit, and they don't have their own medical staff. So that was me uh, for part of my career, and so that's kind of a playback to uh, my love for taking care of uh, uh, Marines and sailors and, and also applying that, uh, you know, double entendre of green therapy, you yeah, know, yeah. into the mix. So Greenside Total Wellness, um, where we're going to try to, uh, to integrate uh, the mind, body, uh, soul experience for these Westerners that have just been completely lost and indoctrinated like we were just talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I could go into more detail about that, but that's not really the point. Uh, really through that avenue um, I want to raise profits it proceeds to go directly to helping veterans get the help they need through natural and plant medicines um, supporting organizations either directly that are doing this work uh, sending vets down to Peru to do ceremonies or Mexico or now that we've done some decriminalization around the country uh, maybe there's some avenues there or also just locally, um, there's organizations here that are working within the legal means of what they can that are introducing um, vets to experiences that aren't necessarily psychedelics, uh, but where you can get, you know, acupuncture, chiropractic treatments, yoga therapy, Reiki, you know, some other forms of energy work sure. that can be done to help. And so if you're getting, you know, treatment down in Mexico, but then you can come back and get treatment here, um, anything we can do like equine therapy or hiking or getting just people at forest bathing or just getting, and, and the mission is to get vets healed. But the real goal and understanding that I think uh, needs to take place is the integration that has to happen. Vets need to be integrated back into society. And the only way for that to happen is for society to make spots and places for these veterans along the way. So we have to inter interweave these two fabrics together, uh, the civilian culture and the military culture, and bring them together in a way like that's true integration. And so, um, you know, if we're facilitating a trip, I don't want to just pack it with 10 vets. You know, sure. we'll put three vets on a trip and then we'll have eight civilians pay for it. Mm -hmm. You know, but we can send them down to Peru um, where people can experience other people's traumas and experiences from their own different points of views. I think by and large, a lot of people are realizing that trauma is trauma. It doesn't really matter if you got it from combat or sexual trauma or this, that, whatever, while everybody's unique experience is their own. Um, you know, we all have something that, you know, our problems are our own, you know, sure. no matter what. So you, you have to take that into consideration and, um, and there's a lot of people that need healing. I mean, this whole country, really. It also seems like a good way to maybe um, introduce people who aren't familiar with, like, what maybe you and I would consider stronger medicines, if you will. Um, you know, these are good ways, these are good uh, segues into maybe consideration, where some people who are, what have you, they're your hardened military type guy, they've never used any of these medicines before. Um, they may have a certain stigma, which they do in general in the public in general. Happens, yeah. Um, but these may be entryways into le getting people into the medicine that they need, and that may, you know, that Reiki work or 
acupuncture or holotropic breathing or yoga right. or what have you. Right. These may all be uh, uh, great practices for them in medicine enough, but they may it may help them segue into more potent right. or possibly more potent medicines. And when you're talking about veterans in general, <laughs> um, a lot of people like to think of PTSD in this in this like box of of uh, there was this one incident that happened. And it was so traumatic that I, I all I can think of. Yeah. Um, when you're talking about veterans, <laughs> I mean, a lot of you, this is, you know, maybe controversial, but joining the military on its own is a traumatic experience. Um, if you look at the statistics, most people that are joining the military are coming from some sort of trauma to begin with. Mm-hmm. So they've had childhood trauma that they're trying to escape. And, and by and large, this is true. Then they get into the military um, and then, and then they go through this mortification process. That's like, you're nothing. You're a piece of trash. We're going to, we're going to make you into something because before this day you're a water trash. And, you know, from now on, uh, you are who you are when you make yourself something, you know, and, and that's, and that works, um, while you're in and you have this like big supporting group of people and you're getting your promotions and you're doing the right thing and you're following the protocols and you're like, you have this model of behavior you're supposed to follow and you can, and you can fall right into line and it's easy to do. But when you walk out the door and that support system's gone and then all of a sudden your mission, you have no mission, you know, what am I supposed to be doing? You're listless. And so that's when people start encountering these, uh, these main issues and so, you know, that's that's the point in time we need to be like intervening with the community, getting them in, involved, doing things. And so, um, you know, I think I kind of got off where I was going with this. But, you know, the 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 fact of the matter is it's not just the one trauma. Sure. It is these complex traumas that are layered on top of, of one another. And so if you think it's just like this one modality of healing that's going to take care of all your needs, then, uh, you know, I I would say that you're, it's maybe a good place to start, but you'll start learning that, no, I have to add, you know, what I say into the um, natural healing portfolio, if you will. And I think that's probably a flawed uh, model of healing that people have in general is that we're going to be healed. It's Take the like, pill yeah. and then you're healed, right? Or, or so that we come you're ever going to be truly healed. Well, the, life doesn't really work like that. You know, right. life is a series of failures, successes, traumas, triumphs. So, it, you know, it, it's kind of like learning how to heal over time. Sure. So you're teaching them not only, you're not only like offering people healing, but you're also teaching them methodologies that they can utilize to heal themselves over as life goes on. Correct. Because... You're not just going to go have your one big ayahuasca experience and, oh my God, life is peachy now. I can yeah. hear the birds twittering. Like, no, life I is. I can't gonna... wake up and blast off with DMT every morning. You know, that's <laughs> yeah, exactly. not, it's, there's reality involved. And, yeah. and life is going to be hard again after after ayahuasca. Life is going to be hard again after you've overcome things that, that were difficult for you in the past. Like, right. So I think it's more that, that we need to alter that, that model of looking at healing like that as if like oh we're gonna go be healed it's like nah we're gonna teach you how to use these tools to help yourself right whereas you can go to the doctor what they're gonna write you a prescription for some highly addictive psychoactive drug um but that's generally gonna lead you down a path of further and further spiral into right deeper drug use harder drug use 
the dopamine chasing is really what it is. Other like, pro- yeah, yeah, other problems. You're chasing oh. uh, good experiences or you're chasing the, the drugs that, that increase, you know, those things. So. And that's what's so funny about these uh, psychedelic medicines we're talking about. It's generally, like, once you have a good banger of an experience, you're like, okay, hang on a second. Like, I'm not... We were talking about that earlier. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I, it wasn't until I tried it I was scared. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, that's funny because the first night I drank ayahuasca, it was so, so intense. And then, I'm like, as the ceremony's winding down, I'm like, oh, shit, they expect me to drink this again tomorrow night? I'm like, there's no way in hell I can right. drink this You're again. like, holy moly. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I know. And then I the know. grandmother's still kind of on board. And she's, like, whispering to me, like, why are you worrying about that right now? Like, just, you're still here. Yeah. But there's another part of me that's like, I'm scared for tomorrow. <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to do this again. And I actually changed my mind on and off throughout the day. I was like, I'm not going to do it. And then I finally was like, you know, I gathered my resolve and I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. And I did it. And it was great. Of course you did. You but it went was, all the way to Peru. Yeah, exactly. yeah. And that was the one thing I was like, bro, you came all the way to Peru. What are you going to do? You're going to puke early? You're going to like, no, you got to do it now. And then it was totally different the second night than it was the first Oh, it was first completely night. different. Yeah, yeah. Right. It was much more gentle, much more dreamy, much more like, yeah, it was a totally different experience. It's, and it's weird because it was told to me that ahead of time too. It was like the medicine knows what you need. And you have to just trust the process. And it was the same way for me. And and what was really funny was my uh, brother, uh, you know, from another mother brother, was next to me who I think it was like his 110th ayahuasca ceremony. Holy shit. And, uh, And he, you know, the first night, you know, he went in for the second dose. He had the same, and, you know, he's like half the weight I am. He's just like laying there. He's cruising through it. I look over at him like, man, he's so used to this. Like, this is nothing to him. And I'm like, holy moly, God, geez, like crawling on the floor to get to my gut. You know, I mean, it was it was intense. And and um, and then the second night, um, I did the same dose, and I'm sitting there, and it was just the opposite. I was like, just calm, cool. Like, this is nice. Like, I didn't want to move. Yeah. That was the thing. Like, if they were like, hey, do you want to come over here right now? I'd have been like, nope. nope I'm, I'm good. good right here where I am right <laughs> yeah. now. And that's, not re- to shit on myself that's right a now, be- so. That's a beautiful thing because for <laughs> yeah. me, like, I have, like, uh, uh, hyperactivity. So, like, for me to sit down that long and just be, like, that calm, yeah. still was so beautiful. But, um, and I was, and it was like, my meds were winding down. I'm like, okay, this is going to be real nice. And, and we're, you know, I'm going to go jump in the ocean here in a little bit. And I look over. And my boy, it was like 111th ceremony, all of a sudden is just like, <laughs> and and he purged so hard that he had like blessed, busted blood vessels in his face and oh, like shit. Patricia or whatever. And, and, yeah. and I was like, holy moly, bro. I was like, what were you purging? Do you know? I was like, nope. Nope. No idea. Yeah. But it was something I had to get rid of, obviously. And, uh, and, it, and, and so you never really know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know. a lot of different stuff comes up in there. Like, and that's that's another, you know, just to speak on ayahuasca a little further. It's like the things that I was thinking that might come up, they did, but in like these weird abstract ways. Like, I knew I was gonna kind of deal with this like uh, control, which I feel like control is related to fear and anxiety and like ruminations about the future. Like, you want to be in control of the future, so you plan the future. When the future doesn't go the way that you think it should then you're fearful or, you know, things like, right. like concepts like that. So I was like, it's going to have something to do with that. And it did heavily. It was like, you need to learn that you are not in control, like of 
of everything. Yes, you can steer your life in a better way, but in the grand scheme of things, you're not in control here, and that's okay. And you need to learn to live with that and, right. and learn to let surrender to that. So that was heavy, heavy yeah. part of my first ceremony because it's like, I don't want to let go. Like, I want this to happen the way I want it to happen. Right. You know? and it's like, well, too fucking bad. Like, that's not the case here. So my buddy, my buddy talks about it like this. It's, it's the, it's the duality of things, right? Like, um, the divine will and the, and the divine wish, you know, the will is what is going to happen no matter what, like that's, that's God's will. And you, you're subject to it, whether you believe it or not. Yeah. And then there's the divine wish, which is the greater expectation of things where that's that's the part where you have the ability to manifest your own destiny. That's, that's the part where if you lean into the process and listen to the guides and listen to what God's trying to tell you and follow your heart instinctively and silence the ego and get that thing to shut up, you know, um, then, you know, then you have the ability to then understand what the divine wish is for you. Mm-hmm. and to pour yourself into that anything other than those two things in between those two things the divine will and the divine wish are impossible mm-hmm. they're impossibilities mm-hmm. that will never happen because it's not it's not within the divine realms you know care for yeah. you to to participate in those things so um being able to tune into that yeah i mean a, ultimately that's what enlightenment is right so that's kind of the goal and yeah finding a way to balance those two things and and to understand that yes you 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 are the driver and you are responsible for your life however you're not you know you're not the be all end all you know and right. it's easy to fall into that trap of like being so driven and so self-assured and then you can just be heartbroken by like simple things, you know. It's like, well, maybe don't be so attached to like thinking that you intentions know what the fuck or, is going or on. yeah. <laughs> I mean, when the the second your expectations are always going to deceive you, yeah. you know, because they're never going to get met, uh, except for on very rare occasions. Yeah, and then cherish those occasions. Exactly. You know? Don't 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 uh, take those for granted. So, are you putting yourself at any risk being so open and uh, available for discussions like this and for? advocating for uh veterans rights in the way that you do uh yes and no it's a calculated risk um on my part i believe uh as as you know we kind of talked about you know as a veteran i have a unique opportunity to to change some stigmas around plant medicines and i take that uh very seriously um they saved my life in my opinion and so and my soul you know a lot of people say oh you know this saved my life i say it saved my soul which is indistinguishable yeah uh and except for in the moment when my energy departs my my lifeless body and carries on you know uh but here in this moment they're indistinguishable and so um you know i can live i can live without it you know i did for so long without a spiritual side but i had i had to bring that back to myself and when i did um i saw that the moral wounds of ptsd that these vets are encountering i saw these spiritual wounds that cannot be healed with just prayer alone you know you can't take these guys back into church and think the church is just going to fix them um and I'm not saying that it's not possible because I think that all things are possible through God. 
However, the likelihood is just not there. It's just like the environment is not going to be conducive for that, uh, where they're going to say, you know, it's okay, God forgives. And then they're going to be like, yeah, well, <laughs> what do you know? Yeah. You know, what do you know about what I've done mm -hmm. to say that God can forgive me of that? You know, that's something you have to have a conversation with God about. Sure. And there's really only a few ways that that can happen. And, yeah. um, and so uh, entheogens, change that for me and and so when that seem to have the capacity to bring you into the presence of god immediately sure and so that you don't have to go through a middleman right directly connected to god right there in that right moment. and then you can have that conversation with god in a very visceral real manner right that's why i like the story of uh of the burning bush right sure. um so and i and, and I, it eludes me the name of the plant uh Acacia, I believe. Acacia, right, yeah. is the plant in, in Israel, in Iraq, that grows in the desert that's prone to spontaneously combust because of the dry temperatures mm -hmm. and hot, you know, air. And it's uh, high in DMT content. Yeah. It's yeah. huge, right? Yeah. So here Moses is walking through the desert. Boom. Bush catches fire. You know, I mean, it's a leap, but it's not a big leap. I mean, you I've know? heard we there's weirder stories in the Bible than that, bro. There's a lot weirder <laughs> stories in the Bible than that. So... Um, you know, so I, you know, I'm not here to create conspiracies, but it's just, to me, it's intriguing. And, sure. uh, and, and well, so, and Terrence McKenna said, you know, I know he's, he said that DMT experiences are, are more equatable to, um, like profound Christian, like God encounter experiences, sure. you know, than they are. So like the Kundalini yoga practices or whatever. Well, it would be much more odd to say that if there weren't like so many other things in the Bible that seem to point in that direction, you know, right. like, that, that, that are maybe just the way that they, that's a whole nother podcast. Like, sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I love, we could go down these rabbit holes all day. Let's not, let's not go too down far down into but, Bible, biblical but, yeah, but, but, but to your point, like it's, it's, it's intriguing how many people and not everybody does. And I don't think that anybody should have that expectation. Like if they go and use DMT or ayahuasca, that they're going to walk away and like, I talk to God. Um, but they should, they should put it in the realm of possibility. Yeah. And if, if they don't, then they should just take a heavy dose and they'll find out, you yeah. know, <laughs> like keep going. Yeah. You'll, cause you'll be, uh, you know, that's another thing McKenna said was that you don't have to believe in this. You don't have to even respect it, but all you have to do is take it. Right. And you'll and you'll be made aware, right. <laughs> you know. Right. So that's another cool thing that, about the entheogenic or psychedelic experience that differs from the religious or organizational experience is that you don't have to follow any rule. All you yeah. have to do is be brave to take the sacrament. You know, I equate it. <laughs> I equate it a lot to that. Um, when you know growing up Southern Baptist and you're in church and and the preacher's you know on fire and he's getting everybody like involved in his conversation and everybody's like feeling that energy and that emotion and then they say okay now's the time we're gonna have that call mm -hmm. anybody that wants to come down here and accept Jesus Christ right and you go walk down to the front and you and you do your you do your thing yeah um I did it as a child and I remember that I did it a bunch of times I did yeah <laughs> I remember that profound experience what are you what are you feeling you're feeling the interconnectivity of everybody in the building that is like giving themselves to something bigger than themselves yeah you're connected to that in that moment and, and, and nothing else. And I, I believe heavily that, yeah, if you feel that call, you're, you're feeling that same divine energy. Sure. Um, but it's just presented in a way, you know, I, I think if, if people, 
could go to church and feel that way all the time, like feel that connectivity, um, you know, through, yeah. Got a little visitor here. <laughs> oh, my squirrels are awesome. Uh, for the listeners, once it, this is the second episode in a row we're doing outside. It's a beautiful afternoon out here in uh, the greater Houston area, and we got a little squirrelo <laughs> joining us for our conversation. But yeah, dude, uh, when I was younger, I even had the experience when I was probably like, there was a time where I was very, very like uh, evangelical, like I was really fired up in that, sure. in my within my church family, and uh, I was probably like thirteen or fourteen, right. or something like that, and I was at a conference where this would probably be common or you've probably seen this before other people listening may not be familiar with this concept but in the type of church that we're talking about the preacher will get fired up they'll start laying hands on people people will speak in tongues people will go into like ecstatic states like sure. people will fall out people right. will laugh hysterically people will cry and it seems to be uncontrollable like they seem to be actually in some sort of a of a altered state so one time when I was around that age, I was at this like uh, Christian retreat thing and they were like doing praise and worship and like everyone was so like fervent in their worship and including myself that I had that experience where I was like, I got that uncontrollable laughter and it was like I was in an altered state of mind. That might've been one of my, probably my earliest experience with being mm. in an altered state. Right. And mm. now I look back and I say, Man, that experience is so familiar within the psychedelic experience. It's it's so similar, and so I'm I, like I've I've talked about this with people close to me. And it's like I wonder if it's they they must be interrelated. Well, it's if you're not hitting like a, your pineal gland in that moment, then I I would be I would be shocked to yeah. find out that your pineal gland wasn't being engaged somehow right then and there. Yeah, and uh, and now I I'm able to look at it from a from that standpoint and think it's probably a physiological effect from just like the intensity of everybody being involved in this like intense mm. worship and me included and so i probably was able to like trigger a real maybe possibly a release of endogenous dmt or sure. whatever it was that was going yeah. on but it was real i was or, laughing yeah. my ass off and i was not like contr- i was not in control of it right. and it was only a probably like a maybe two minute thing but I've never forgot it. And then later in life, when I had early, like, low-dose psilocybin experiences, I'd be like, hey, this is like that time that this is so familiar, you know? And it, that's mm-hmm. just as an aside that I found that odd. Right. And I'm yeah. thinking, now I'm thinking, maybe it's all related. It probably is, It is connected, right? man. <laughs> right? And uh, my, me and, uh, well, I talk about this person a lot on the show, but I don't reveal who they are. The person close to me... Um, discuss that all the time and that person has a completely different standpoint but I'm always like no man it's the release of endogenous DMT and that person's always like no it's the spirit of God and I'm like maybe it's the same shit (laughs) probably you know um, I'd have to look up this guy's name Um, doctor neuropsychiatrist type that is um, talks about this stuff I can't think of his name but He's got podcasts all over the place. But anyways, uh, and, and he starts talking about that pineal gland activation and how there's like actually these tiny little crystals inside of your, inside of your, your pineal gland that start to vibrate. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, it's like, well, yeah, like, I, I don't know. I mean, when you start following the culture and you understand like all crystals have their own frequencies of vibrations, quartz, watches work off that principle and like these different things, it's like, wait a second. 
that's really all you're trying to do is get that thing to start vibrating. And there's lots of ways to do it. Yeah. Um, it's like psychedelics are obviously the easiest and most potent way. Yeah. Right. And once that happens, it's like this, yeah, endogenous release of antioxidants that flood your body, like anti-inflammatories uh, and all kinds of stuff that just happen. Yeah. Um, in that moment. So, I mean, to me, that's got to be the connection between the um, spirit mind. Yeah. And I, and I, you know, that's just, it's, it's interesting that all, that all these various religions and then their holy texts and whatnot, there are all these accounts of very similar experiences and, um, uh, I'm about to go back into the religious yeah, it's, conspiracy thing. Let's, let's move <laughs> forward from that point. Um, so we've kind of, we, we've pretty much touched this, a lot of this already, but let's go a little deeper into it. So what are some of the, you talked about it, the, uh, the veteran reintegrating into society. Can you give us some like specific examples or like what's, what are some of the major issues hindering the integration of the veteran back into society? Why do they, is it because the veteran feels alienated or because they, they are actually alienated? When you look at, it's both. Okay. It's both. Um, it's not maybe like an overt alienation, you know, so, so if you're looking at it in those terms, um, from the veteran to society, it can be absolutely. I mean, there's people that completely withdraw back into the woods, you know, living off the grid lifestyle for that very reason. But, um, that's not who I'm really talking about. I'm talking about the friends, the guys that are trying to get back into the society, but can't, um, after 18 years of 20 years of war, and my generation and after um this huge change in the world around us like from the analog to digital switch essentially and everything that's taken place since that mm -hmm. uh the world changes pace really quickly and veterans don't you know we we just don't and so um we were sold this idea, a lot of us, like pre-9-11 veterans, were sold this idea, like if you join the military, then you get to go to college, and then you'll like have this super higher ability when you walk out the door, because of course you have this unworld, you know, worldly experience that nobody else could, could match in college and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And that might have used to been true, like during the Cold War, that was probably true, but after 9-11, everything changed, and after 20 years of war, I don't think people view the veteran community that way anymore. Um, I think statistics will back me up on this. It's, it's harder to get a job when you get out of the military and, and, um, you're dealing with this struggle of having this unlimited amount of resources around you. And now they're gone. Uh, you have like this team of people around you. Now they're gone. Um, you're going back to live with your family for the first time for a lot of vets. I mean, I stayed deployed for three years in the military. I didn't see my family, but for a week or so at a time, every few months, uh -huh. So then you're, you're, you're dealing with the fallouts of that, uh, by and large infidelity is really bad in the military. So marriages get destroyed while people are overseas. And I mean, it, you know, it's just, it's an ugly, ugly lifestyle. Like if you really want to get into the nitty gritty of what military life is like, it is in, you know, I can't speak to 2020, but in 2004, you know, it was ugly. Like people were deployed all the time. And, and so when they got back, they're either fighting or they're drinking or they're, I mean, it was just, or we were drinking when we were deployed. I mean, it was yeah. just, 
you give up one thing and you pick up another. Sure. Self-medicating with yeah. uh, and so, negative vices. So if you look at um, the drug war and how it causes isolation through disruption of communities, through the propaganda that you were taught, you know, through the D.A.R.E. program as a kid that all drug addicts are losers and the bottom rung of society. So you take this person that was considered to be like one of the top rungs of society, or at least they're put up on this pedestal, like in a, in a public way, you know, like, we support the, our vets. The we veterans are well respected. Too. Yeah. But then they get out and then maybe they're having substance abuse problems. They're, they're dealing with PTSD and their self-esteem is taking a shit. They don't have their um, squad around them anymore. They built themselves up in this way to think, well, I'm a warrior and I can fight through anything. So it really is a model of failure from the get-go because uh, warriors don't do anything alone. So that that's the part that, that gets miscommunicated, you sure. know, where you're like, no, no, when you get out, you should surround yourself with people who are going to help you uh, su- succeed. Mm-hmm. And that's hard to do because, you know, we live in Houston, the second largest veteran community in the United States. Really? Correct. But how would you know that? Because we're so spread out. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you look at the Houston area. I did not know that. Montgomery County has tons of veterans that are, like, living in the woods. Yeah. You know, and so um, and so it's it, there's there's an extreme isolation, whether it's, it's actual physical isolation or social isolation or isolating yourself or... Um, and then you they know, kind of play off each other. Families don't know how to deal with. They're not trauma informed. Exactly. They're they're not understanding. It's only just now that that people are starting to really gain understandings of these things. So, isolation is huge. And and and, and I and I actually talk about that. Like these plant medicines are powerful, but they're not as powerful as the community that they're building. And, and community is everything, whether it's from the people that you're surrounding yourself with and holding space with and ceremony, or it's taking those same people and then having a backyard barbecue later on or, or gardening or doing something else beyond, you know, this, this one thing. Yeah. And so, um, and so that is what the veteran community is facing. It's this extreme version of isolation whether it's, you know, like I said, social or physical isolation. Sometimes we're doing it to ourselves. Yeah. That's what PTSD does to you. Sure. You know, so it's 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 a complicated issue, and, and there's no, like, one single way to fix it. But what we can do is start to understand how to fix the problem. Psychotropics hinder you in healing. Sure. They hinder you in interconnected relationships they in, they hinder your pineal glands ability to do what we were just talking about to, sure. to to heal the body well they have a tendency to numb the symptom as opposed to what these plant medicines that right. we're discussing tend to do is have you confront yeah. the core right. issue so because the veteran population is so heavily medicated there's there's a medicated isolation going on mm-hmm. you know it's 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 so many different things that you could look at and and the one thing that you could say, it's the comorbidity of things, too. It's like I have pain issues, plus I have PTSD issues. So not only am I taking Prozac, that's absolutely ineffective for combat PTSD, proven many times over, uh, but it's the main drug given. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now I'm, I'm shoving this psychotropic that blocks all these things. And then I'm also eating opiates because I have this pain. And there's 
and and so we go okay well now you're dealing with this symptom well now you're going to take this med and you're going to take this med and you're going to take this med when we have these natural medicines that are able to take care of all of these things with one you know cannabis being the the main you know to me is the mother plant sure so you have this one thing that can help you with your ptsd symptoms with your pain with your uh, 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 fear of going outside and being a part of things you know if you had the if you had the society where that was accepted then that wouldn't be an issue anymore. Yeah. You know, so. Is that, would that, would you consider cannabis, cannabis to be your biggest plant ally? Is that your. Um, in my opinion, cannabis is everybody's biggest plant ally. Uh, for, I mean, for the simple fact that your endocannabinoid system has to be primed for you to be able to function. Um, and there's ways to do that. It doesn't necessarily mean smoking weed every day. Um, but then the other part of it is, is. <sighs> To get off the psychotropics, if, if you're living in, in that, you, you need cannabis. You know, you're going to have to use cannabis to wean yourself off and get yourself more productive. If you are facilitating ceremonies, cannabis is a great way to help bring the synergy up and back down again uh, through those understandings. So, it, to me, it is absolutely the most vital plant we can that's a, that's a point that was made in my last podcast as well with a, a lady named Brooke Terror who is the uh, ho- the founder and proprietor of the USNT Church, which is like a multi-medicine church uh, in the greater Houston area. But uh, she was saying that she was just discussing her love for – she calls it Santa Maria because – Santa Maria, uh, yeah. Yeah, so right, she correct. was just expressing her love for that plant and uh, for cannabis in general and how many, how many doors it's opening and how many – how it's becoming this gateway to, to these uh, more uh, to these conversations about possibly it's a gateway I'm okay with yeah you know? exactly <laughs> a gateway to healing as opposed yeah. to the gateway that it's been generally associated with which we you know as as partakers uh, myself former partaker because I get regularly drug tested now um, Boo. It, it, yeah right <laughs> I from in the private sector still right. getting drug tested yeah um, but it's all good. Um, but she was just, you know, just discussing her uh, appreciation for it and how she's kind of um, moved into a more sacred practice with it where she won't really use it as a uh, as a daily medicine or as a regular medicine. Of mm-hmm. she, she only likes to use it in like a in a ceremonial setting, which I've never even experienced that before. Some sort of a cannabis ceremonial cannabis setting. Like, yeah. Uh, but it sounds interesting. Well, think about this. Like, um uh, being able to consume uh, like a heavy indica and then just going into a meditation or a sound bath therapy or some or can- cannabis uh, psychotherapy that's being done in Denver right now at a place called that I know of called in- Innate Path Healing, mm-hmm. where they do that, where they allow you to consume cannabis while you're doing your talk therapies and stuff like that. So Sure, I could see. And, you know, there's people in my life who are um, very, they use it on a regular basis and in, it's an obvious difference for them. See, when I discontinued cannabis use uh, several years ago f- uh, for my career, I was to the point where um, it would make me feel uncomfortable almost every time I would use it. Mm. Whereas my previously my entire life, no, I mean, I just, I, but I was using it in a very un, a very un, uh, 
educated way, you know, because like, right. dude, when I first started smoking pot, it was like Reggie Brickweed from Mexico. Right, and then, like, right, that's the I've kind of yeah. told this story before, but like then w- one of my friends showed me Dro for the first time, and that was like, it was like, whoa, Dro, dude? And then like now it's progressed to what it is today, which is like a far cry. You would right. never we, see that We quality. don't even talk about Dro anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, I actually said that term Dro to her to Brooke on the last show and she was like what are you talking about she didn't know what it was Uh, I had to kind of like explain and then she kind of got hydro but um, it was to the point where it would make me generally uncomfortable it was it was a very introspective um, and it was it it made me feel very hard on myself overtly hard on myself so you know and that's just to speak to the fact that it reacts different ways with different people yeah and different plants with different and I may I may cannabinoid compounds that you know. Sure, and I may have a different experience now because it's been several years since I've used it in any regularity, but um, just an interesting. Yeah, it's also like there. just part of uh, growing up in Texas where you don't really know what you're consuming. That's you just, true. You just don't know if it's been sprayed. You don't know if and it's been. You know, there's us. There's other things like uh, you know, like the fact that you're a criminal here in Texas when you use those plants. That plays into like. I would get stoned and I'd be like, dude, like, oh, I don't know, like, morally I feel okay about this, but I could go to jail for possessing this little yeah. bud of a plant, you know? Right, so right. all those things kind of, like, layer on top of it and color the experience, um, but that's just an aside on the whole cannabis thing. Yeah. I mean, I love it. I've, I've loved it for years, and especially, like, uh, eating it is a different experience for me. Right. I prefer that. I prefer that generally over smoking it. And it's so weird to me, but uh, so many different people have that relationship where they prefer edibles over ingestible, you know, smoking. Um, and then heavy smokers that are like, I don't even touch edibles. Like I won't, they don't do nothing. I won't touch them. But really uh, it's a, it's an old school understanding of the medicine. So like, if you're consuming to get high recreationally, you know, so to speak, um, then if you're chasing that effect, then, you know, maybe edibles aren't the thing for you. But if you're actually like understanding that, um, the, uh, different cannabinoids and how they interact with each other, you know, like, like true medicinal grades that are looking at like one to one THC to CBD ratios or mm-hmm. higher, um, because of the effect CBD has on the CB1 receptor and the anandamide in the body and all these other things where like in Texas, we're like, why would we want CBD? Yeah. Well, I why actually run a care? CBD company too. Yeah, yeah. And I brought you some stuff here. Actually, right I'm sure you already have like all this kind of stuff, but I just brought you a couple of my products since we're on it right now. But this is like my oral tincture right here. That's mm-hmm. a 500 milligram. And nice. this is actually a beard, a topical beard oil that I use. Oh, right on. Um, so I just like put that in my beard area. I do uh, uh, my salve. I make a salve. Oh, really? Yeah. So I use that. Oh, very nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was, cool. I was, I was working on a topical like joint inflammation. I never finished it, but I'll, I'll get back to it eventually. But I was also thinking like, I want to really, uh, appreciate that. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, I really would like to, with my, with that business, although how it's, it's a very marginal side project. I'm built, I'm working on it over time, but I'd like to really incorporate like a, uh, some sort of a, like veterans, like CBD for veterans thing where like people can come on my website and like donate and like after so many donations, like I'll, I'll like match it or something like that. Right. I really would like to come up with something. Maybe that's something we could work on in the future. Yeah. To, that's to definitely the type of thing uh, with my business. I'm hoping to support, 
and you know, and then also just with my personal mission, yeah. That would be dope, dude. Literally dope. Um, let's see. So we've uh, we touched on Greenside Total Wellness. Would you like to go a little deeper into that? Is it, did you did you say everything you wanted to say about that, or? Um. Yeah. I mean, I I think that uh uh my my goal is, you know, to try to, like we said, just um, introduce some people to some of these modalities of healing and some of these uh, healers. I mean, in in the Houston area, we have a massive amount of of healers that live in the area that a lot of people just don't even know. That's true. So, and, and, and these are, you know, through legal modalities, you're not having to worry about, you know, mm-hmm. any of the stuff you were just talking about. Like you can go in there and, and find a safe space and, and do some of this work. And then, and then also uh, tie it into a travel aspect yeah. uh, where we'll be facilitating, maybe um, taking people down. Uh, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the mushroom medicine because the medicines, very available where you're not taxing these indigenous populations uh, for you know the coffee vines and all that type of stuff, sure. um, which are which are being taxed right now. And a lot of people don't realize. <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever tried silawaska before. No, I'm interested. I yeah. haven't. I, I, I'd like to. I mean, honestly, you you can fa- you can facilitate the same level of ceremony. Uh, I mean, within marginal reason. Uh, with the with the silawaska and using a medicine that's so abundant that you could grow it right here in my backyard in southeast Texas. Sure, I'm so, familiar with. Uh, I'm very familiar with psilocybin. I'm I'm preparing my my soul and my mind to do my first five grams. I'm I'm ready. I think I'm ready to to go that deep. Yeah. Uh, I was planning. I think I'm gonna do it here in the near near future. Yeah. I think I'm ready. No. Well, like what? I guess like when you're you know? when you're ready, you're ready. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I um. I know I know uh, some people that have gone twenty eight grams at a time. Yeah, I've heard I've heard some people talk about that. Uh, uh, no, or I'm fourteen good on that, at dude. a time. I've gone to ten. You've gone to ten. Yeah. Woo! With the addition of a uh, MAOI. No, or just not overall? in that. Not in that capacity. I feel like that would be so. It's no, no necessary. Yeah. Right? Honestly, um, are like you just two, trying to microwave your brain? <laughs> two, 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 two grams of, of strong cubes and. Uh, and chocolate and nutmeg will take you a lot further than you would ever imagine. Actually, yeah, right? yeah. So, um, you add the Syrian rue, you know, things like that. I mean, it's 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 intense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna consider it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I've I've just had a couple really really intense ones lately, and uh, you know, I'm I'm just I, we kind of touched on this earlier, but I'm learning to, especially my last ayahuasca experience. Like, I'm learning to practice letting go and, and psychedelics are a great way to practice letting go because you like, don't have a choice in the matter you don't have it yeah <laughs> at, at a certain point it's not up to you anymore so you kind of are uh, regardless if you want to let go it's taken away from you and uh, right. you know that's a that's a good i think that's a good strong practice that can help you in general terms in your life of, of being able to surrender things and yeah. knowing when to let go knowing when to hold on and yeah, uh, learning how to navigate between those two. So, so back to you know, so um, going down to uh, Mexico or places where those medicines are readily available, or mm-hmm. as we start these decrim nature movements around uh, around the United States, and try to you know give 
I mean, because like you said, there's a lot of people that are wanting to try these medicines, but they're afraid of the illegality of the whole thing. And, and, and I get that, you know, we, we started to talk about it easy with my risk. I think I got sidetracked. Mm-hmm. You know, it is a risky business. Like I said, it, to me, it's a calculated risk because I live in Harris County. We have a DA that's not really going after small drug offenses and uh, and there's seven million people in Harris County. So, I mean, you know, I'm I'm a flake of in a vast sea of people. So, sure. you know, I, I take some solace in that. And, 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 but then on the flip side of that, um, using that knowledge and the risk that I'm taking and trying to help, uh, facilitate to people that aren't maybe necessarily willing to take that risk. And, um, and then we can, you know, get them, get them the medicines they need, but in the interim also provide a place for integration to happen as well. So when they get back from Peru, they have some, you know, sound boards to, to bounce things off of. And, and then also create a, a community where they can integrate with people who've had similar experiences, sure. who are um, intending, you know, who have similar intentions. Yeah. Um, because that sounds like it's one of the main issues that the veteran rejoining society at large is having is relating, you know, as people relating to them and then relating to other people because the vastly difference the vast difference between experience makes it difficult for those two populations yeah. to relate to each other there's a lot of ego involved too right like you learn all this knowledge and you're taught in the military like civilians are scum basically you know like you don't <laughs> no want to yeah well i mean to an extent because they're like don't be like them you're better than that yeah. You know, uh, you, you hold yourself with a higher sense of pride. You wear the uniform, you, you press it, you clean shave, you know, you do these things for a reason to, to you know, um, the way you look matters and all this different things. And, and to an extent, that's true. But at the same time, you walk out the door and then you have to go work with these, you know, so-called scum. Yeah. And and that was difficult. I'll be like, getting out of the military and going back to work was one of the hardest things I've ever encountered because your work ethics are just so different and people are freaking out about things and you're like, dude, ain't nobody going to die today. Yeah. yeah so yeah. why don't y'all just chill out here? And, and so, you know, I, I worked in the restaurant industry. Yeah, I did for a uh, long time as well. And then, uh, I work in emergency medicine now, so we've had very similar, uh, work experiences. Oh uh, yeah. Right. Well, you know, I came from emergency medicine and, and so, uh, that, um, it thri- I thrived on that like fast paced lifestyle kind of thing. Sure. And then also I could work in an industry that didn't drug test me. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. that was a big part of it too. But yeah, I mean, it, it was not conducive for healing. Yeah. Not at all. It, it, as in uh, the restaurant. Industry. Yeah. 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 Uh, I agree. That was a very, uh, that was a, it got me to where I wanted to be, where I needed to be, where I am now. But it was, uh, I knew I had to escape that lifestyle quickly because it's easy for me to to fall into those like drinking every day with your buddies right. and like, just not not really having a uh, purpose or a uh, not really understanding my purpose or point or where I was going right. you know those are like it's easy just to go and get your like little two you know 150 200 bucks every Friday night or whatever and then drink yeah. it away and, oh yeah so yeah I, that yeah I worked in the food industry for a long time um let's see so if you were to be optimistic about it, or if you were to be realistic, whichever you prefer, what, how, how does the future look regarding um, 
How's the future look regarding the rights of the veteran in the in this aspect, and what is it that uh, what are you hoping, and what are you what are you seeing for the future? Uh, the, I think the future's good. Um, there's, I mean, it's it's not laid perfectly clear in front of us uh, on a crystal path, but it's um, but it, there there's a path, right? With uh, and you hear the same story over and over again when people say, oh, well, I read the Johns Hopkins psilocybin study, and this made me start thinking about psychedelics. I was one of them. Um, with the, I mean, that's what Westerners need. We need research. Mm -hmm. You know, we need the research to say, oh, these things really work. They're really safe. Well, we're taught we're, to think that we need we, that. we have propaganda to overcome. We have puritanistic values that say, oh, if it feels good, it must be wrong. And, like, all these different things that are still prevalent in yeah. society. So we have these steps to overcome. But, I mean, you got guys like Anderson Cooper doing, you know, nightly specials about psychedelics at this point. You yeah. got Johns Hopkins dedicating an entire research facility now to psilocybin and LSD. They're doing a big study here in Houston. UT Health is doing UT Health picked up the phase uh, three or two, two or three at UT Health. And, and I emailed that doc. I try, I'm trying to get him on the show. He said no, but... I'm yeah, gonna, I'm gonna be persistent. <laughs> There's still and 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 so you now that's a good point because then you still see these communities that are like okay we'll work with it but you know with caveats right yeah. it are these different things. I, and, I'm like yeah he's like an MD PhD he's like I don't think I want to be featured on a show called Psychedelic Ass I'm doing like I mean that's that's just me like making up a story in my head yeah. I, I have no he may just be too damn busy i'm sure he's he is in the midst of his research now yeah. right that's a, that's intense so um well you know there's a lot to it i think um we're, we're at a we're definitely at a precipice right uh i think there's a lot of people in the community that are worried about what this future looks like they know it's going to move forward but they're all worried that we're going to end up sitting on a psychiatrist's couch with you know blindfolds and headphones on you know dosing up like okay this is great and and Doesn't taking seem that great to me <laughs> yeah and taking the shamans out of the equation and these people that have been using and facilitating these medicines that have way bigger understanding of what they're doing than somebody with just because they have a degree but that's that's what this country likes they like to see so sure. Um, so there's some balance issues that are going to have to be worked out, and a lot of people are kind of getting nervous about them. I've, I've noticed that. Um, even maybe some hatefulness going across the aisle, at least from one side to the other. Um, but I think if we work together in these communities, stay stay working together, uh, the scientific community doesn't snub the spiritual community, and the spiritual community doesn't snub the scientific community, and sure. we're going to find ways to decriminalize this. I think that's the best thing we can do moving forward. Not regulate, not all that. Just don't worry about throwing people in jail yeah. for it. And the things will kind of just work themselves out. People, there's going to be a lot of population that's going to want to go to this to the counselor and lay on the couch with the with the blindfolds. Yeah. And then there's going to be a lot of the population that wants to go try the indigenous ways. And I would definitely recommend that way before you go the other way. But, yeah. you know, it's... It's scary to some people. Like I sat with a shaman. That scares the shit out of some people. Yeah. So you, it's, it you it scares to me more it. to sit with a psychiatrist. Uh, me too. <laughs> but that's because of our biases and how and yeah. our understanding of these medicines, because it comes from a almost a lifetime of use. Right. And um, yeah, I think, and that kind of speaks to what we were talking about earlier about um, 
the microcosm of your own being is the, the mind, so the science, the spirit um, interconnecting in the greater society. We need to we need to make sure that these two parts of the we, we need both that. We need, mm-hmm. we need psilocybin studies. We need hard research for the people who want that. Right. Look, I can tell you right now, take three grams of psilocybin mushrooms. You don't need to do any research. Right. Like, just, you'll, you'll know, right. you know? Um, and for some, that may go one way for somebody else and one way, a different way for some, another person. Well, understanding is a big deal. So that's why I like, I don't believe in, you know, bad trips. I believe in, in, you know, what kind of understanding can you, can you gain out of this? Did, was your set and setting right? Was your mentality good going into it? Yeah. Was your dosage right? Mm-hmm. Were your meds clean? Like, you know, there's, there's a lot, like if you put that work in ahead of time and then you, and things still go awry, that's what you needed, you needed. Yeah, for exactly. whatever reason. That and, was the uh, message that day. I've, uh, I've been, I've been working with a person close to me in a certain aspect with, uh, with psilocybin recently. And this person has had one very, very like uplifting, beautiful type, uh, experience. And then the other two experiences have had a darker, more intense bent for them. Um, but discussing this with them heavily pre and post, I know that they're having these experiences that they need to have. And it's really cool for me to see that this person without prior, really uh, a, uh, an intense prior knowledge of psychedelics is already understanding that intuitively. They're like, yeah, it was very intense and difficult, but I needed to go through that to get to A, B, and C. Maybe they were primed for that, you yeah. know, primed well for that. And mm-hmm. I think that's a big part of it. And we tried to, we tried to do that because, you know, I want to make sure that they know all the ins and outs, but also not to color their experience too much. Right. Try to find that balance and say, hey, look, once you go in, what's going to happen is going to happen. You, you write it out or, you know, whatever. Um, and so it's just, it's cool to see somebody who intuits it that quickly. Whereas for me, that took me like years to, go from one gram into heavier dosing into other uh, psychedelics to where I was like, okay, there are no bad trips. It's just your pers- perspective on what's happening. Mm-hmm. Like you can be seeing some really, really scary, having some intense feelings, intense emotions of, you can be physically sick. You can be, you know, you yeah. can go through all these layers of difficulty and then come out when it's over and be like, wow, that was the most beautiful, profound, life altering thing I've ever been through. Right. But it was, do you want to do it again? No, not really. Yeah, not, <laughs> you know? not so much. Yeah. Hopefully the next time's different. Yeah. yeah. And it and it will be. Yeah. Actually, it will be. That's the thing. And they kind of, they, they build on each other because you're, you're, you want, you come to understand these concepts and then they kind of stretch out and string out and they get a little, you know, you go deeper in some areas, you go a little more shallow in some areas. Yeah, for sure. Let's see here. Um... So most of this we've pretty well touched on. What can the non-veteran do to support and to uh, what can the non-veteran do to support and help these causes out? Um, I would assume education's got to be right up there at the very top. Yeah, I mean, being well, first and foremost, the the best thing anybody can do for themselves right now, period, is to become trauma informed. Sure. Um, and what that means is, it's like, it's like a very generic thing to say, but uh, that means really, really digging in and learning about post-traumatic stress disorder mm-hmm. and how it affects people. And what you're going to start seeing once you once you get into that, 
you'll see it in the veterans first because we're the most obvious example of the population. But once you start recognizing this stuff, then you just start seeing it across the board and everybody and, um, and in ways that are, uh, because, you know, everybody knows the fight, fight or flight response. Um, a lot of people don't know that there's two more responses, which is called freeze and fawn. Um, so a lot of times people end up victim blaming people for like staying in a situation like, for example, like uh, uh, beaten women, you know, that stay with their, their abuser, right? Well, that's because they're either frozen in place or they're fawning over their abuser where they're still like making excuses for why they act the way they act. And, uh, and those, those are symptoms of trauma that can happen on like micro scales or large scales. So becoming trauma informed is really, really important for today's society uh, because that will give you the ability to walk this earth with empathy. And when you can do that, then you can start start to maybe help the veteran community on a personal level. On a non-personal level, um, there are some organizations out there that are doing some really great work. Here locally in the Houston area, uh, I work with an organization called Vet Trip, and it's T-R-I-I-P, um, and there's a acronym that goes along with it that I don't remember um but that's the place that i go where i get my acupuncture chiropractic reiki aromatherapy eft tapping affirmation techniques um all this is like a one-stop shop you go in the door and get like a body work of energy oh wow uh and then and then uh um they send you out the door i mean these are organizations that are doing direct work with veterans mm-hmm. um that aren't paying their staff anything to do it and I think that's, I mean, and I, if they're paying people, that's great. Organizations have to run, but I'm saying they shouldn't be making huge salaries to do what they're doing uh, or have these huge advertising campaigns and different things like that. Um, the other one is another acronym I can't remember is VETS, V-E-T-S. Uh, there's a Navy SEAL. Um, there's been a few articles written about him, like going around. I think his name is Marcus, if I'm not re- uh, mistaken. This is a local Houston. No, Houston no, Houston? that's a national organization. Okay. Um, they're working in the operator community um, with SEALs and Rangers and Special Forces guys. They're sending them, um, I think they've sent over 200 vets down to Peru. Oh, wow. Uh, or Mexico to facilitate ayahuasca ceremonies. The vet that runs that organization was one of the vets that were uh engaged in the maps mdma uh psychoassisted therapy study uh-huh. um so they've taken that and then tried to build on that with with that so uh vets vets and vet trip those are two organizations they do work out of san antonio too um and then uh also back to the personal thing everybody knows a veteran everybody knows a veteran like almost everybody does Mm -hmm. reach out reach out to that vet Mm -hmm. just reach out to them don't i don't care how good you think they're doing yeah oh they got a steady job they got a wife they got kids they they seem to have their shit together and on track Mm -hmm. i don't care they probably don't and they're probably begging for somebody just to reach out and acknowledge their existence. Um, and I think that that's, that's huge. 
uh, because we talked about that isolation factor right there. Sure. Uh, I think that that's going to be a big goal of mine is to is to help support these um, direct actions that are helping vets, like sending them directly to get the work done or. Um, and then here locally, there's also the Lone Survivor Foundation. I don't, I'm sure you know about Marcus Luttrell. And, sure. Uh-huh. Uh, they have a beach house down in Crystal Beach where they do these integrative therapy weekends um, that are pretty cool. It's psychotherapy, uh, but it's not just a sit around and talking. I, some of the stuff I've done, um, which is like ART, accelerated resolution therapy, where they're doing like eye movement, uh, different types I've of stuff. It's more that. aggressively treating your PTSD through your through, through your mind. Yeah, using somatic techniques and yeah. using uh, physiological techniques. And, you know, I think just to touch on the personal thing as well is that, you know, everybody that you encounter, including yourself, all have undergone traumas. And trauma is such a subjective concept sure. that it's pointless to kind of, like, try to compare trauma. It's not, it's not a contest. Yeah. It's not a race. Um, it's not, no, it's what you have it or you don't. But it's, it's but it's also, you know, it, it can be easier for us to relate to those other traumas by acknowledging each of our own personal traumas and working on our own personal traumas um, because, you know, for some people it may be easy to compartmentalize things. For some people it may be different. Um, maybe we need to break all those barriers of the compartments down anyways and and have not be so compartmentalized you know mm-hmm. like in my line of work i see things that most people would deem like terrible you know and they are they are terrible things or they would most people would be averse to even being at, in that situation it, a lot of people on the outside would look and be like that's horrible i can't i don't understand how you could like see that and not be severely affected by it and it's like, well, I've learned to kind of compartmentalize it over time. Um, so in my mind, th- those are things that other people would probably consider traumatic events to just to be involved. Right. In, even though I'm not undergoing the trauma that the patient is undergoing. Yeah. Um, but in my mind, I don't see that as a, I don't consider that in my repertoire or my in my traumas. You know what yeah. I'm saying? There are other things. And if I were to tell you that what you think is traumatic for me it has no effect on me whatsoever but this thing that my dad told me when i was 12 years old has haunted me my whole life right. you know like it's right. odd how that works but if we can if we can realize that those barriers um, are pointless and that we all have that and we should work on ourselves we can work with each other yeah more. and and that brings me to another point and this is something that like is really big into uh, my mission personally is that um, you know, just mental health in, in general and how we approach it, especially as men, uh, <clears throat> in this aversion to like, you know, if somebody hears like words like toxic masculinity and then they're like, oh, being ma- masculine is not toxic. And it's like, no, being masculine is not toxic. Being masculine to the point of toxicity is toxic, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. And, and so that you have to understand like what that means. That means is if I'm denying myself the fact that I have a sensitive emotional side, like if I'm not talking about that or working through that or acknowledging that it exists or I'm suppressing it, shoving it away, you know, there there's going to be these things that are going to, issues that are going to come up from that. You know, the mental health stigmas also of veterans from the military on you know if you're 
diagnosed with PTSD, you're damaged goods, and therefore you're you screwed forever. Yeah. You know, um, these kind of things need to be rewritten uh, in our understanding. Um, PTSD is difficult. Yes. Um, is it going to change your life forever? Yes. Does that mean you can't go and live a successful and healthy integrated life? No. You know, and that's something that really needs to be understood because I think that's what keeps so many vets from wanting to go and get the diagnosis and start the work is because they're afraid of how people are going to look at them once you say, well, I'm a vet with PTSD. And then they're like, oh, yeah, they don't that means you're probably going to like snap and shoot me at some point. Right. Yeah. Like because that happened to that one guy that one time. Yeah. Um, no, that's well, not also, necessarily what that means. It you also know? could be left unchecked. Potentially, yes. Yeah, you know. that does happen. But it, it also, see, it, as as a non-veteran, um, it strikes me as like part, uh, they're averse to that concept because they don't people don't want to admit that, or they don't want to even believe that about themselves, or yeah, or they don't want to be labeled that. Right. Not even they don't. That was a big really, deal for me. They don't even want yeah. to care about society at large. I had they to just, get over that. Yeah, it's like they don't want to put that label on themselves, right. or to accept that that they right. have that issue. And for a lot of people. You know, especially people who've gone through difficult things, who've overcome hardship, who've been self-made and who've, you know, gone through military training and career, that 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 armors you. So you can right. say, oh, like, you know. It's like I, I call it the warrior spirit. Yeah. Um, which you carry with you because it, it keeps you alive in battle. But once you walk away, it's like doing more harm than good. Sure. And yeah. you have to learn how to be a warrior in a different aspect. So the analogy is a warrior in a garden, right? Like, yeah. so there's an old fable, uh, you, you know, a granddad and a grandson working in their garden. And, and, you know, this granddad's like a ancient, you know, renowned warrior of his time. And the, and the grandson asks him, you know, like, why, why, why are you here working in this garden if, if you're this warrior? And he's like, well, it's better to be, you know, a warrior in a garden than a gardener in, in a war. Yeah. You know, and, and so I think that that's an, an, an important aspect to embrace. Um, my training is my training. I wouldn't give it up for the world. I wouldn't give up my service for the world, even though there's some things I'm jaded about later on in life. And, sure. you know, these different things. But, um, you, you know, I would never take that away from me because that, you know, is part of who I am. Sure, it's been part but of your journey. But that's not who I am. Yeah. You know, I am not this veteran that just only received this training and that's all i'm capable of it's like yeah i'm capable of that but now let's go work in our garden and you know learn how to do something else and so and to be able to take those lessons to glean the positive lessons from that experience and utilize them in a in a way that's useful in life after the military you know Mm -hmm. to not completely disregard those as like it was a bad all, all, all bad experience i don't want anything to do with it but to integrate those experiences in life into yeah successful um successful success in later life. right there's nothing in life that was all good or all bad sure. i mean i just graduated college so like a lot of people could say oh um that was the other route i could have gone to college and i could have done this and i oh would that have been an all good experience for me like, definitely not because i did that not. yeah maybe <laughs> not shitty you know probably not and so um now you know are your shitty days much different than your shitty days in the military yeah probably. for sure but yeah. you know it's it's all relative what so. did you do in the military in the military in the medic in a medical uh aspect 
What were you? What were you? So a Navy hospital corpsman uh, is a, we're, we're we're considered general duty um, medics. Essentially, okay. I mean, if for lack of better terms, we don't like to be called medics because that's what they call the army guys, and you know that's a pride and ego thing. Yeah, corpsmen are not medics. Yeah, um, but we are um, more than a medic actually, and so in a in a civilian world, you could equate us more to a paramedic. Um, okay. but in a in a in the reality, there is no, there is nothing else. But so, uh, corpsmen do everything from direct patient care in hospitals, um, like nursing care. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the military, nurses do very little actually. They uh, do in the real world too. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. Well, they're officers. I, I they're officers in the military, and uh, and so they have rank and they have privilege, and then they're yeah, and then they have this whole team of well-trained minions to do their bidding yeah, for sure. them. So. Hospital setting's a little different. You work under nurses and doctors for most of the time. Uh-huh. Uh, or you get attached to a ship, and usually on a ship there may be one doctor, but there's usually what's called an IDC corpsman, independent duty corpsman, who is like equivalent to like a PA. Uh-huh. And then junior corpsmen that work underneath them that just do like sick call type procedures and different things like that. And with the Marine Corps, um, you run the battalion aid station. You're it. You're, you're, the, you're the dude. So you start IVs, you do... Blocks. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, starting IVs is like day, day okay. six of training. I'm just trying to yeah. to relate my work experience. In, in yeah, you that. start off learning the MT Brady book. Okay. That's 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 your your first initial uh, schooling. Um, so, you know, definitely EMT qualified. And then, um, and then they take that beyond to nursing care. And uh, so, I mean, you're doing everything from minor surgical, yeah, give meds, okay. uh, write scripts. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Corman writes scripts, um, anything but opiates. I mean, really. Yeah. Uh, and then in the field setting, you're doing everything you can to keep somebody alive, period. Sure. period. And so, I mean, it's, it's just all it depends on your scope of practice, how much you've learned along the way and how much training you've received to do. But, you know, out downrange, as they say, um, I mean, if somebody's dying, you're yeah, going to do whatever you can to kind of try to save their life, and sure. including, you know, I mean, up into anything. intubating yeah. chest tubes. I mean, the, we, we're we're yeah. trauma we're trauma people. Yeah, yeah for all, all the way through and through. It's like, right on. There's there's stories of uh, of corpsmen remo- removing appendix in the field, and I yeah. mean, all kinds of shit. That's yeah. wild. Yeah, I love me some good old fashioned trauma, uh, in in the right setting when you have a team to back you up and. You know, you have the tools necessary to well, save someone's life. You got a life. helo you can call in sometimes. You know, yeah. that's, that's no. The I'm probably a little bit better equipped than you guys. Yeah, are. <laughs> and I, and with my unit, um, I was uh, I was one corpsman with a fleet anti-terrorism security team. Uh, we have area of responsibility all over the world, um, so they'll have like a reactionary force ready to respond to uh, threats. You know, at any given point in time. Well, I was one corpsman with 55 Marines uh, with the ability to deploy anywhere in the world at any given point in time. Wow. So, you know, that depends on where you're going as to how much uh, backup you're going to have yeah, sure. and where what you can even do. So I carried more gear than almost any other person in my position would have. Like sure. special forces well, or special entire, ops or that type of situation. You need a whole yeah. ER toolbox. Oh yeah, you need everything. Yeah, I have like I'll have like three Pelican cases full of gear. Yeah, uh, that's crazy. That's crazy. Um, 
how have uh, your so let's talk about post-military let's talk about you now and your life now about how have your plant medicine experiences um, helped you to integrate into civilian life as a as a husband as a father as just a good person in general um, so let's remove it from if, if you want to talk about that of course yeah I mean if you want to remove it from the military aspect and go on to a more personal level uh, as we come to the we're, we're already at over an hour and a half so we're at a right. good show as is um well I have um it's helped me push aside my ego and really do roll up my sleeves and do the work on myself necessary uh when you start peeling away these onion layers of trauma uh things get ripped up things get ugly things get I mean, things can get really ugly, and having a family that has to endure that is um, is hard. Sure. So I've gained a lot more patience, understanding, empathy, and uh, as we're working through issues as a couple, um, it's 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 allowed me to continue on where when things get hard where you think oh okay well now's the time like i could give up right now yeah uh because um you you know either you don't have the safe space you need in that moment or they don't or you know whatever it is and you go are we doing more damage than it's worth i mean there's a lot of questions that come but ultimately um when you feel that interconnectivity and that healing power of love that comes with these medicines that trauma informed understanding where you like other people are dealing with their own shit too and and so if you love that person and you're really committed to making it work uh i think that these medicines or or just this lie you know because i i said like plant medicines are just one small aspect of it it's 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 a it's a total lifestyle change Mm -hmm. that makes you want to like eat better and, and feed your family better and, and you know just like all these different things and so that's that's a big part of it too like sure. um when you have the understanding of epigenetics and how trauma gets passed down from generation to generation mm-hmm. then don't you owe it to your kids to heal yourself sure you know and and i think that if you have that understanding if you know that's true um uh, then you then you have a obligation to overcome those cognitive distortions or or um that cognitive dissonance that causes people to say well you know i'm gonna die anyway so i might as well eat this cheeseburger or you know whatever it is it's like that fatalistic approach sure or with the understanding that like this energy is not my own and someday uh god is coming back to reclaim it and i better give it to god better than i than i had it myself that includes your family. That includes the people around you. Yeah. And so I think that's that's been a big part of it. You you sure. have to understand how these things affect your family. And if you're not willing to start rolling up your sleeves and do the work, then you're you are doing more damage. You know? Sure. What if you were to take it one step deeper, though? Because I've been this is a concept I've been mulling over here in the last few months since my last ayahuasca experiences is the concept of these trials and tribulations that we undergo as human beings are necessary and 
are painful, but they are, we need them, you know, to grow into, like you were saying earlier, your military time had its difficult aspects, but it also had its aspects that helped build you as a person. So it's, it's kind of like me trying to say, what is trauma and what's the best way to look at it? Do I need to continually look at it as trauma or at some point can I integrate it into my life as having been a necessary stepping stone uh, well, to like, my growth? Right. Like, 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 um, um, what is courage, right? Courage, courage isn't the absence of fear, True. right? Courage is the, is the having fear and still facing it and still going forward and doing what you have to do it, despite that it's scary. Right. Mm-hmm. So what is, what, what are trials? I mean, what is any of this? I mean, do I have to go through these trials and tribulations to grow as a person? Like, yeah, of course you do. There's lessons to be learned in everything. And I think that's the most important aspect of uh, any of this is like, whether, you, you know, what, what did you learn? Yeah. Uh, because you could go take a, you know, a million dollar vacation in the most beautiful tropical paradise in the world. But if you didn't learn anything out of it, then it was a dream. Yeah. It was, you might as well have closed your eyes and slept for a And it for won't even, usually won't stick with you. you know? Right. So same thing. If I, if I go to hell and meet the devil, then, you know, yeah, it was a terrible experience, but what did I learn from it? Well, I learned I could survive. Yeah. I learned that I could make it through that hell and, and back again. Sometimes that's the only t- uh, outtake you can have, you know? I've had that experience too, where it's like, okay, I know that if I can undergo that and be okay at the end, that I can, that, you know, I can take a lot of punishment. There's a, know? there's, there's a, uh, it's, it's an underrated uh, thing, you know, like we have this model of success as being like, oh, we didn't have these trials and tribulations. We just exactly. had this perfect life and everything was like, oh, it fell into place. Like, no, that's never how things work. Sure. You know, but there's also there's also and I, you know it comes back to what we were talking about earlier in the show is uh, balance and how as a as a father a husband someone in a relationship a you know a child you feel this responsibility to protect and to guide those that are within your circle or under your care and you have to find that balance of allowing them to undergo their own difficult situations and also protecting them from the evils of the world. Right. Yeah. It's hard to kind right. of you like want them, stay you know, in that lane sometimes. Fall, fall off the curb and scrape their knee, but not fall off the cliff and bust to their down. certain yeah, death. You exactly. know what I mean? That's, that's true. And, and, and so, uh, it's, well, you know, hang out with me long enough and, and we'll you just keep coming back to that balance theme over and over and over yeah. again, because it is the most important thing. Sure. Yeah. And, and it's starting to kind of like, I, I've been, mulling those concepts over like the balance between uh fear and control and you know these things are all interrelated they're all interrelated at least in my mind and maybe that's my own like journey is what that is what i'm trying to figure out right now is how does my perceived need for control affect my life versus letting it go right because my father was very very controlling very intense like uh very um just micromanaging yeah so i kind of have that bent to where it's like i want things to go the way i see them in my head right and when that doesn't happen that's when i'm like off course. that's that's, that's when the gears get 
get like kinked up and exactly. the springs fly out and yeah same like, way yeah. yeah it's like dude why can't you just accept that you can't fucking control everything like right. just get over it right <laughs> you know well that's 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 by and large part of the human condition yeah i think we all struggle with that and i don't so. think i don't i don't think that it will ever be a point of like just saying that that's no longer an issue but i would like it for it to be like more self-evident and easier to just be like okay just get over it bro. well i'll give you the <laughs> i'll leave you with this my um my one of my spiritual mentors you know famous law of the universe is that the universe responds more to you than you do to it so when you start uh manifesting these things into reality you'll see that the universe shifts in a way that allows that to happen and uh, it's a beautiful thing so oh yeah well, Andy, it's been great speaking with you. Uh, right before we go ahead and close out, do you want to do a rundown of the things that our listeners should be looking out for or where they can get involved in what you're involved in? Um, there's a couple of documentaries that they can check out. Uh, one of them is called Soldiers of the Vine. That's the documentary that some of my friends filmed down in Peru. They, they, they filmed uh, their ayahuasca experience. It's available on YouTube for free so um no no issue there there's another one that you may have to pay for you can um and or it's available through itunes i believe it's called from shock to awe i've watched it i think i paid like four bucks for yeah it or something. It's, nothing, it's well worth it it's fantastic and uh, uh um so those are a couple of documentaries that uh organization i was working with um helped helps film and start getting these understandings out to uh the veteran community or the community in general uh personally from soldiers of the vine is the is the documentary that really pushed me to say okay i need to try this plant medicine i need i need to try it somehow some way i was like i'm gonna make it to peru if i have to four grand or whatever i don't care mm-hmm. um luckily i was able to do it uh easier than that sure. but um so those are a couple of things they can check out uh, once again, reach out to a veteran. If you have one in your life, just tell them you're thinking about them. It doesn't have to be any more than that. Uh, and, um, start taking this message outside your own four walls because otherwise we're just creating an echo chamber that is no use to anybody. Yeah. So those, those are my big things. What about, uh, where can they, uh, get with you or where can they find more information on Greenside? Um, I'm in the process of launching my website, so I should have that done by the end of the month. Okay. I know that you have a uh, Facebook have a page, page so. and y'all can follow me at Andy Melder on Facebook. I pretty much open my Facebook page up to everybody and I post a lot of stuff there too. Okay. So that's Andy Melder, M-E-L-D-E-R. Correct. Andy, thanks a lot for doing the show today. We yeah, certainly man. appreciate it. This has been fun. It's really good to meet you, man. Big thank you to Mr. Andy Melder. Thank you so much for being on the show. I had a great time chatting with this guy. And, uh, man, I hope to uh, involve myself further in his work, be involved in his process. You guys check him out at Greenside LLC on Facebook. He's working on his website. Um, this guy's done a lot of good work. He's continuing to do a lot of good work. And uh, we are feel super thankful and grateful for him. Uh, being on the show. A lot of good information this episode. Thank you so much, Andy. With that being said, we're going to close the segment tonight with a quote from the king himself, Mr. Terrence McKenna. We have to create culture 
Don't watch TV. Don't read magazines. Don't even listen to NPR. Create your own roadshow. The nexus of space and time where you are now is the most immediate sector of your universe. And if you're worrying about Michael Jackson or Bill Clinton or somebody else, then you are disempowered. You're giving it all away to icons. Icons which are maintained by an electronic media so that you want to dress like X or have lips like Y. This is shit-brained, this kind of thinking. That is all cultural diversion. And what is real is you and your friends and your associations, your highs, your orgasms, your hopes, your plans, your fears. And we are told, no, we're unimportant. We're peripheral. Get a degree. Get a job. Get a this. Get a that. And then you're a player. You don't even want to play in that game. You want to reclaim your mind and get it out of the hands of the cultural engineers who want to turn you into a half-baked moron consuming all this trash that's being manufactured out of the bones of a dying world. Thank you for tuning in, Psychedelicasters, and thank you so much for joining us in prying open the third eye. Mm-hmm.